0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Will Summer. Welcome to the Daily Beast's Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm currently working on a book about QAnon called Trust the Plan for HarperCollins coming out later this year.
1: And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything.
0: On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world. And how they vote.
1: Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point.
0: Okay, this week on Fever Dreams, we're joined by dun, 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 surprise guest Asawin saying, a.k.a. Swin. He's back. You may know him as the former host of this podcast. He left us in our time of most dire need. Now he's back swin is now a senior politics reporter at rolling stone swin i never thought i would see you darken this doorway again welcome back
1: well that's an interesting way to frame this i was about to exclaim to you well 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 look who fucking came crawling back to daddy swin after kicking me off this august podcast look i gotta tell you well this podcast used to be terrific used to get great ratings used to be a world-class podcast but i gotta tell you in recent months I've listened to it. I've kept up with your show. And I've heard you bring on all these other guest hosts like nasty Sam Brody, who is called by many people Whammy Sammy. I know that's not politically correct to say, but that's what they call him. And I just hear people like Whammy Sammy slagging Swin. (laughs) Won't even name me. Will reference my reporting at Rolling Stone, but then say some guy. What the hell, Will? what the hell? I thought there was honor among these thieves, but I don't get no love from Sam Brody or the podcast that, I don't know, I hope fucking found with you. And now, you come back to me months later saying, Swin, Swin, we need your ratings. You're great for ratings. Please, please, sir, 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 come back. Come back to Fever Dreams. And uh, you know what? I'm sorry to give the Fever Dreams audience a graphic readout of your begging and your pleading, but it needed to be done. And I'll let bygones be bygones and let's come back and do a show maybe we'll do another
0: one next week Ooh, we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes i think that was a great performance there swin i think your decision to not really do a trump voice i think may throw some people off and they may be like oh, <laughs> this, this Swin guy really brings the attitude but you know i do like whammy sammy as a nickname
1: while i was doing all that i was moving my hands like a dilapidated dinosaur robot so there's no visual to this pod but if our listeners could have been viewers they would have seen some trump hands but To get on topic, I miss the hell out of you guys over at the Daily Beast family and definitely the Fever Dreams crew. Let's have some fun like we used to do.
0: Okay, Swin, so you're a Trump World reporter. You're renowned for your insight into Mar-a-Lago and Bedminster. I'm actually not, but don't tell my (laughs) boss that. (laughs) Okay, well, we're all familiar with MAGA, Make America Great Again, but there's a hot new acronym that is climbing up the charts. We may remember CAGA, Keep America Great Again, which never quite caught on in the same way. But Swin, have you Heard of lava or lava lava well I think it was CAG k-a-g and you're right it did not that fetch did
1: not end up happening but lava kind of heard of it maybe a little but I gotta be honest with you I've kind of gone out of my way not to figure out exactly what it
0: is this is a hot new acronym I pronounce it larva in my head but larva well this is a hot new acronym and it stands for let America vote again and if you might say I don't know. What's the problem? We vote every two years. Big, big federal election. Not quite. So this is a call, a growing movement, to rehold the 2020 election. Again, it's let America vote again. So it says, let's replay it back from November 2020. Let's do it again. (laughs) This idea is coming from Frequent Fever Dreams character Jovan Pulitzer, a treasure hunter with a mixed track record, turned now vote hunter with more than a mixed track record. He's one of the leaders of the election denial movement. And Jovan has kind of cooked up this idea. He was a key player in the Arizona audit of yore and has sort of been trying to have kind of an audit roadshow. But Javon recently, last week, I believe, he decided that these efforts to pull back the votes to have states, the step after the audit is you claim to find some kind of malfeasance in your state audit. And then you have your state legislature vote to recall the electors. And, and, and if I sound unclear on it, it's because it's not really a process. It's not a real thing. But basically, they believe that you can essentially recall the electors from 2020 and then force a new vote. And so Javon has been saying, we got to start saying decertify the results. We got to just start saying lie. Let America vote again. So, Swin, do you think this idea has a good chance of catching on? Well, in a weird way, it already did catch on before it was this stupid fucking
1: acronym. Like last year, as we covered on Fever Dreams, Trump himself was all about over. This was something that was pitched and proposed by Trump to other powerful Republicans in 2021. It was something that he was enthusiastic about, about pushing to try to get conservative media reporters and columnists to write about, not to much avail. And this was something that was pushed around about by other Trump world and MAGA luminaries, like, of course, another perennial favorite of the pod, Michael Lindell. But even they kind of dropped it a little bit at some point last year or early this year. But you're saying the Jovan Pulitzers of the world are trying to rebrand it, basically. The boys
0: are back. I mean, it's a funny thing because the Republicans are slated to blow out the midterms and 2024 is already shaping up. But then these guys, it's like the election denial movement was a truly rich time for the hucksters, folk who go far beyond the average Republican Party political huckster into guys who were previously best known for claiming, as in Jovan's case, to find a Roman sword on a Canadian island. These are guys with very kind of wooly backstories, and they had a great moment. And so you can understand, I think, why they really want to focus on 2020. It's no fun for them if Republicans start winning stuff back, because then they have to say, maybe this election was legitimate. And you can't make spreadsheets about that. You can't make PowerPoints. Okay, so Am I correct in recalling that Christina Bob is involved in this in some way? Yeah, so this kind of dovetail, I mean, Lava is sort of a branding exercise for the idea that we're going to have state legislatures, Republican-held legislatures in states that win for Biden, that you can have them decertify the election, pull back their electors, and somehow, like a sort of Jenga tower, sort of make the Biden presidency unstable and force a new election or let the state legislatures or a Republican-held Congress somehow decide that Trump won in 2020. So Christina Bob recently was on, I believe, Right Side Broadcasting, which is... And she works for Trump now. She used to be an OAN TV host who
1: functionally did, if not on paper, work for Trump, because as we reported at the Daily Beast in late 2020, she was secretly working for Donald Trump's Rudy Giuliani-led legal team during that anti-democratic push after the 2020 presidential election, while concurrently being a TV host at OAN covering the exact issue and legal challenges that she was secretly working on.
0: A lot of dual loyalties there, yeah. Well, it's the same loyalty. It's it's (laughs) all
1: just loyalty to Donald Trump. That's it. You just happen to be working nominally for MAGA TV Network. But now the patina of difference is just gone. She is working for Trump now.
0: Yeah, so she gave this interview recently on Right Side Broadcasting, where she basically said, look, if we can get these, a couple states, if we could get maybe Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, to pull back their electors somehow and say the election was stolen, then we could basically create enough chaos that it's almost like the January 6th theory, but just doing it a year later or two years later in this case. So then let's say the Republicans win the house in November, then we could have the Republican held house vote to rule that Trump won in 2020. Now at that point, we're looking at January, 2023, so maybe like two years left on the presidential term, roughly. I mean, when she gave this interview, the other guy who's obviously the interviewer who's ideologically simpatico to her, he kind of looked like, hey, Christina, like <laughs> a little early to be showing the playbook. You know, What are you doing here? So I think between Lava and the Christina Bob situation, maybe we can be all looking forward to once again casting our 2020 ballot. People would say, oh, the 2016 election, it'll never end. The Democratic Party primary in 2016 will be relitigating that forever. But maybe 2020, we literally will be recasting our ballot. Once again. So that is the meaning of lava.
1: Right. And last quick word on this I'm not saying there's necessarily going to be anything big or earth shattering or substantive that comes out of this stuff. But having said that, like when people hear this shit and think it is too stupid to actually materialize into anything actionable or big, I have to. I cannot overemphasize that this stuff is exactly as stupid, exactly as ham-fisted as all the quote-unquote intellectual architecture that led to what became Donald Trump's violent coup attempt. So it gets harder and harder to laugh this stuff off, if you get what I mean.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's serious stuff. And actually, speaking of coup attempts, the January 6th committee is continuing its hearings. There are two scheduled for this week as we record this. Swin, you've been doing a little reporting on how the Trump folks are reacting to this. Obviously, the Cassidy Hutchison testimony kind of ramped up the heat. What is going on? How are they responding?
1: Well, one big thing that they keep doing, I'm talking like people working at the upper ranks of Trump's legal team, the team that is trying to keep him out of jail, basically. Some of his most longtime confidants and political lieutenants. Would it surprise you if one of their most treasured hobbies right now is searching for a patsy? Would that surprise you? mm Okay. So the very final thing I want to say right now about this Trump world hunt for a patsy thing, the funniest thing about it to me is that it's this weird thing where there's not even a patina of plausible deniability when it comes to Trump and his coup plotters who were working directly for him it's not like Ronald Reagan and Iran Contra but basically everyone who mattered covered for him claimed however frivolously or flimsley that, oh, he didn't know he wasn't involved in this massive scandal operating at the senior ranks of his administration. And with all the criminal exposure that comes with it nowadays is that this is a situation where it's as if there were endless reams of news footage of Ronald Reagan shouting into Oliver North and George H.W. and George H.W. Bush's faces to do the Iran-Contra. Why are you not doing the Iran-Contra? Harder, you must hate Ronald Reagan because you're not doing Iran-Contra as hard as I want you to do. So really any former Trump administration patsy or John Eastman-shaped scapegoat that other Trump-tectors want to see sacrificed to the Biden-DOJ sun gods, you can't really do that from any good faith or objectively rigorous standpoint without any hint of daylight implicating Donald Trump himself. But that is sort of the perhaps imaginary needle that people who are trying to keep Donald Trump from facing serious criminal exposure on this are trying to thread in order to keep him comfortable and safe. So take that for what you will, I guess. So for our listeners, if you've been following the news lately
0: coming out of Trumplandia, or the January 6th hearings, you have probably noticed. I kind of like, maybe we should do that instead of Trump world. It has kind of a tropical flair. Actually,
1: one of our former fellow colleagues, Lachlan Marquet, I think was the first Daily Beast guy who put that in print. And it's kind of stuck in my head uh, all this time. Yeah, Trumplandia. we should stick to it. But anyway, if you've been watching some of the televised stuff that's come out of the January 6th committee and January 6th public hearings on Capitol Hill recently, you would have noticed that there is a trend of them trotting out videotaped testimony after videotaped testimony from current and former trump loyalists campaign and senior administration officials who go out of their way to talk about how much a fuck up someone else at the senior ranks of trump land was at the time a prominent example was all that on the record testimony about rudy giuliani being wasted and drunk allegedly on election night while he was pushing Trump to do a coup d'etat. In times before that, Sidney the another Trumpist lawyer, as we have detailed uh, meticulously on Fever Dreams, was a sort of became kind of a persona non grata in Trump's inner sanctum during his post-presidency because even they realized how radioactive it was. And if she was going to be slammed with investigation after investigation and lawsuit after lawsuit, maybe it was just best to let her twist in the wind all by herself. More recently, during these investigations that are coming out of both the DOJ and the House Select Committee, there have been the Jeffrey Clarks of the world, and there have been the Johnny Eastmans of the world, and there's definitely been the Mark Meadows of the world, where the committee keeps highlighting that they have evidence that they view as extremely damning when it comes to this core collective of guys who are trying to overturn the election for Trump. Or in some of their cases, including Mark Meadows, there are allegations that some of these Trump loyalists were engaged in possible witness tampering during Trump's post presidency as these investigations were heating up. So a lot of stuff that I think you and I would call legally
0: no bueno, there's a lot of knives flying around.
1: No, absolutely. And the more lawyers you talk to who are still working for Trump and very closely to former President Trump, and the more you talk to people who are advising. Donald Trump daily on what they hope to be his every political or legal maneuver, the more you get the sense straight from the horse's mouth that they think, okay, there's going to be a fall guy here or there are going to be some fall guys here. So I'm not going to mince words when I'm talking about how I think Mark Meadows has really opened himself up to a lot (laughs) of criminal exposure here. I'm not going to mince words when I'm talking about
0: john eastman and how the coup memo author look around mar-a-lago if you don't see the fall guy you are the fall guy right (laughs) right and i just want to really quickly read a quote from ty cobb here i was talking to him a few days ago our
1: listeners may remember that he is a former top attorney in the trump white house he is not a nobody he's not a msnbc resistance liberal and he told us Quote, I do think criminal prosecutions are possible. Whether they are advisable is a more difficult consideration for the country. Possible for Trump and Meadows, certainly, and for the others, including lawyers who engaged fraudulently in formal proceedings or investigations, end quote.
0: Sure, yeah. So they're setting these folks up as fall guys. I mean, when do we have a situation where Mark Meadows is trying to make someone else the patsy and the fellas, we're getting into Lufthansa heist territory here. We start getting (laughs) various third-ranking councils turning up in freezers. (laughs) Right. And okay.
1: the kicker to all of this and also I think the most important point is while all these people who are trying to protect Donald Trump, including his legal teams, are kind of setting up their legal strategy, pricing in as if, okay, there's going to be a fall guy. Maybe it's Eastman, maybe it's Mark Meadows, whatever. There's got to be someone. And we're going to strategize going forward based on that in part to protect Donald J. Trump. I mean, there is the harsh reality that from a good faith and objective standpoint and i know that's hard to maintain when you are an envoy of trumpland but it is patently true that it's impossible to stitch up any one of these guys without immediately directly implicating Donald Trump in whatever crime or offense you want to slap onto them. I mean, they were only doing these things because Donald Trump told them to. I mean, that is a matter of public record. There's no daylight here between their actions and Trump's actions. There was this long-standing tradition in Trump world, including during the Trump presidency, where people who sort of wanted to criticize what Trump was doing but didn't want to go at him directly would say, I don't think Trump is being well served by his advisors or i don't think the then president was getting good advice from some people including the ruling giulianis of the world or whoever i mean you've heard that so much from so many different people on the record over
0: the years the sultan is being ill-served by his viziers right but a lot of these people
1: saying this are not that stupid some of them are (laughs) but a lot of them i mean when you hear them say that on like cable news or when they're saying that into your recorder while you're recording them for an interview, for me personally, it's kind of hard for me to not every single time they do that kind of jump up and scream at them, okay, like you you're not seven years old. There's no way you actually believe this. You know for a fact that they were only doing this because Trump demanded. That they do this. You also know for a fact there were some people, some senior officials who were telling Trump at the time of his coup attempt, eh, maybe don't do that. So you know for a fact he was getting the quote unquote correct advice, or at least advice that was not as wrong as the other advice he was getting. He just made the conscious decision to hurl it to the wayside and continue his pursuit of clinging to power illegally.
0: Swin, on another topic, we talk about kind of sacrificial lambs and whatever. What do you make of various figures, including Oath Keepers President Stuart Rhodes, offering to testify as long as it's live? Like live on TV? Like a lot of some of these other people have been doing? What should I make of well, I mean, to me, this may be like the most obvious thing in the world, but I mean, these guys who, all right, we're going to get the guy famous for allegedly plundering the Oathkeeper's treasury to buy himself steaks. That's not exactly the top dog, right? Right.
1: It's not exactly Pat Cipollone or a former White House counsel or something like that.
0: Yeah, I guess for me, it kind of gets into what is this, I think, an underrated Republican media response to the, the January 6th committee, which is they get someone who's already ideologically aligned with Trump or may have their own exposure on January January 6th. And then that person says, nope, we're all good boys. And then they say, Hey, it's disproven. So for example, the gateway pundit got a big load of, I guess, federal documents related to the proud boys that I think clearly were leaked by someone on a defense team. And it's this Kansas city proud boy FBI informant saying, Nope, we didn't do any crimes <laughs> to the FBI. Oh, and they're like, problem solved. And they say, see, <laughs> like, it was a Proud closed. Boy. Proud Boy said they were just cleaning up trash. I'm not making this up. That was literally a line. And so then you have like someone like Stuart Rhodes, who obviously wants to get in there and kind of do a circus. It kind of recalls to me the kind of release the memo saga from many years ago, 2017 or so. Oh, God,
1: you're breaking out like the B-sides
0: right now. Yeah, I'm opening like the Silmarillion or whatever. I'm, I'm going to get into the deep lore. I mean, this stuff about like... Where it'd be like, well, we just have this one document that's going to prove we're all right. And then it's like, wait, but that was written by your best buddy. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to buy that. Anyways, this one to watch. I certainly would not want to be caught in this game of hot musical chairs as they look for the Patsy. I mean, it's got to be. I know you're talking about Mark Meadows, the Patsy or whatever. It's got to be some like fifth ranking dude we've absolutely never heard of. Right. And last thing I want to say about this
1: is that. The darkly hilarious thing about them trying to cover for Trump by finding a scapegoat or finding a small number of fall guys at the senior level is that Look, if you're going to compare this to other major Republican scandals like Iran-Contra, there was a veneer of kind of pseudo plausible deniability when it came to Reagan, where everybody who mattered, there were just endless parades of people coming out saying, oh, Reagan didn't know, Reagan didn't go, Reagan didn't know. I'm not going to argue here if that's true or not, but there was at least some sliver of, okay, other people can get indicted, but you let the president of the United States off the hook, legally, kind of. But for Trump, it's as if Iran-Contra were based on Reagan going on every Fox News program he could find to yell at Oliver North to do Iran-Contra. He was doing it in public. And there's there's just no way you can reasonably say, okay, yeah, this guy should take the fall for it. And that's the end of that chapter. (laughs) If you want to be a good human being, there's no way you can stop there. But that's the thing that these people are clinging to who want to keep Donald Trump, I don't know, free of criminal charge in this case.
0: All right, well, one to watch. Swin, on another topic, I hope you've stopped paying your credit card bills and your utility bills because there's a big thing coming called Nasera. Are you up on Nasera? Well, when you first told me about it,
1: I kept calling it Nasrallah in my head, like Sheikh Hassan Nasrallah. Hassan Nasrallah,
0: yes, the sainted head of Hezbollah. Yes, no, this would be Nasera, a bit different. Now, I looked in the archives. I'm pretty sure we haven't talked about this before, but it may have come up because it is in many ways sort of the logic undergirding so much of the kind of far-right conspiracy theory world today, and indeed my own approach to the world. So Nassara, and we're going to get into it in a second, what I'm talking about here, but last week there was a Trump rally, or last weekend, and right-side broadcasting, which does sort of inadvertently the yeoman's work of interviewing people at rallies, and often the person starts just completely going off about how, like, they're like, so what are you hoping to hear from Trump tonight? And it's like, I want to hear about how vape pens were invented by aliens. The host is like, what? And so in this case, they were interviewing someone and she started talking about how QR codes are killing people and all this stuff. And then they said, well, they're always trying to steer these Trump rally people back to kind of more palatable talking points. And then she said, well, I'm really concerned about human trafficking, read QAnon. And then the person says, well, what about the southern border? She says, well, actually, I think, and here's the quote, I think eventually they'll end up going back to their own countries with Nisera slash Gisera kicking in. Now... For me, this is like my slot machine. The lights are just going off in my head here. Because Nisera Gisera is a very unique little thing. Swin, have you heard of this before?
1: No, never. But it's funny because the way I can hear your eyes lighting up as you're talking about this, it kind of reminds me of myself when I was like a high school film geek. And when I was watching the Oscars and suddenly like the production designer who nobody had never heard of, who (laughs) I was a huge fan of, was read off as the nominees are... That's what I'm thinking of you. Or you're like Nelson Muntz listening to Moon River. Like, you are so excited that you get to finally talk about this. So I'm not going to rob you of any more of your time. Okay, you great. tell me
0: more about this. Okay, sure. So so this is spelled, I'm saying this over and over, it's N-E-S-A-R-A. And this stands for the National Economic Security and Recovery Act. The short version of this is that Nisera and its twin, Gisera, or the global, etc. It's expanded to be for the entire world. That the short version is that various conspiracy theorists including a lot of QAnon people, Nassara is kind of an unheralded pillar of QAnon they believe that there are these bills that were signed into law either by the, at one point it was Bill Clinton and then it became George W. Bush and then kind of presidents down the line and essentially these are like economic utopian bills that if only the world elites could be stopped they would finally go into effect and so these bills would abolish credit card debt, abolish all debt, student debts too if you rent an apartment you will now own that apartment, stuff like that. Diseases will be cured, all kinds of stuff. So the idea here is that it creates kind of a very personal connection here. And so to sort of get the origins of Nasera are absolutely mind-blowing in terms of the various permutations this crazy, crazy thing has done. The Iraqi dinars are mixed up in this whole thing. So I researched this for my upcoming book, Trust the Plan, on QAnon, coming in February 2023, available for pre-order now. But basically, the deal is with Nasera. Do you have that memorized, like... You know exactly how you're going to say it whenever you have I to- just love sharing it so much. It springs spontaneously. So here's the deal. So in the 1980s and 1990s, there was this thing called prime banknote scams. And so this is like kind of Nassara's granddaddy. And so this is a thing where this scam was enormous. Literally national banks in Europe were getting ripped off by this. Everyone was falling for this. And the deal was a guy would come into your life in some way and he would say, I am a big time banker and I actually have access to a secret banking system. This stuff that they do at Goldman Sachs, this is crapola compared to my banking system and it's called prime banknotes. And this is where like, The Rothschilds, they put in a little money and it just explodes. But there was this electrician named Clyde Hood, and he kind of got on this scheme. And so in his pitch, he said, wait, Clyde (laughs) as in Bonnie and Clyde and Hood as in Robin Hood? Come on. Oh my gosh, I hadn't even considered that switch that's a good deal. So he says if you, he starts pitching a lot of church groups and he has these videos made up that are sent to churches and he says, I will give you just insane amounts of returns. If you give me, and I'm doing this for the little people. I used to work for the Gettys, but those guys are like kind of penny ante compared to the guys I really work with, but I've been touched by the Holy Spirit to help the little guy. And so if you give me 50 bucks and re-enroll it with me for a couple years, you will have I'm not a big math guy, but essentially it works out to like 3 million bucks in a few years. And so people would say, holy smokes. Well if I fifty bucks gets me that, what if I put in all of my savings? What if I gave Clyde a hundred grand? Right, be a billionaire. And so this guy rakes in ultimately something like 50 million bucks and he his small town becomes beholden to him he becomes sort of the pablo escobar of this local rural illinois town and everyone is just rolling in money while all these people particularly in the pacific northwest are getting absolutely ripped off and they would say they had a hotline where you would call to find out where your money was because <laughs> it was supposed to be turned around in like six months and it would call and clyde would say "Ooh, the dang cabal is preventing me from transferring my money off of my bank is in the British island of Guernsey. It's been really cloudy so the satellites can't work and stuff like that and people would say oh okay so this guy is lyle landley from the simpsons basically he is the monorail guy exactly so he's kind of constantly moving it and moving it and so roughly seven years or so into this the feds swoop in and they arrest clyde and they arrest a bunch of his buddies in his town but curiously a lot of the, the people who were ripped off by this a ton of them never redeemed their money their restitution from the government and in fact this created a whole new community of people who were convinced that that if only Clyde could get out of jail to do one more bank transfer, if only they could bail Clyde out or even bust him out of jail, they could get their money, finally. Even after Clyde turned state's evidence and said, this was all a scam, my bad, these people continue to believe it. And so in one of these message boards, this woman named Shani Goodwin, who lived in, I believe, Oregon, up in the Northwest, she decided, hey, I've got some intel. I've got some hot new intel that actually all of our Omega money, it's still going to come true. Now, if this sounds a little like QAnon, you're not wrong, right? So this is kind of an ancestor of QAnon. And so she's calling herself the dove of oneness. She says, Omega wasn't just a religious thing, guys. It's actually this idea that's part of this whole program called Nasera. And I should say, Nasera was a real fake legislation cooked up by another internet kook who said, why don't we just like streamline the economy? It's kind of like this libertarian nut. He sent it to Congress. They said, who cares, buddy? Chucked it in the trash. But she takes it and says, this is real. And in fact, Bill Clinton had to sign it at gunpoint because Navy SEALs burst into the White House and made him sign it at gunpoint. Now, for me, that's how I want my democracy running. So a bunch of the Omega people kind of provide the initial fuel for this. She takes it. She eventually dies in, I think, 2010. But Nasera becomes this thing people believe in. And it becomes this, a sort of watchword for, like, utopian financial transfer that's going to make everyone super rich in the same way Omega promised to. And so you see this with Iraqi dinars. Buy Iraqi dinars. They'll be worth a ton of money. You see this in crypto stuff, where QAnon people will say, buy Ripple, and we'll all be fabulously wealthy. Buy this one digital currency. And so now this... It's It persists into now 2022 where people are just waiting on their Nesera to cure the world. Okay, so it's basically prosperity theology. I think there's certainly a comparison there. That's a Pentecostal movement and Pentecostal, there's a ton of elements of that in QAnon. It is like you're tapping into the main line of the deep American consciousness with this. And so when I saw Nesera pop up in the wild again, I thought it was a great opportunity to talk about what I think people can tell is, is truly one of my passion projects.
1: If you ask me point blank... After explaining all the stuff you just explained to us, where in the wild would this be amplified on TV or on
0: online media today? Where would it pop up? Where where would you see it? Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Telegram, YouTube, message boards, like anywhere where there's someone with something to sell, Nasera is to be found as an explanation for it.
1: Including at Donald Trump's rallies, because why wouldn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, I've missed this recurring segment so much. It's near and dear to my heart, has been ever since last year. We now welcome you to this week's installment of Fresh Hell, in which we get you acquainted with something batshit that's going on in the world today that you may not think is actually happening, but alas. It totally is. Will. They blew up the Guidestones. They blew up the Guidestones.
0: I got to say, you doing the Fresh Hell intro, that's like ASMR to me. That just like like plays on my brain. Beautiful. Well, Swin, yes, you probably thought you escaped Fresh Hell personally. You thought your relatives had said their prayers, paid their indulgences. You had made it out. Not quite. Welcome back to Fresh Hell. Okay, so the Georgia Guidestones, we talked about them a few weeks ago. They were known as America's Stonehenge, but now they're just America's Stone Pile because someone blew them up. No, why would? they do that well (laughs) they have their reasons so the brief history here on the guidestones for those who missed it is this was a pile of gigantic rocks in northwest georgia this is the first time i've ever googled guidestones georgia in my life and there's a little red
1: marking underneath Google images of it that just says permanently closed, permanently which, closed. Is a, which is an
0: interesting way of
1: saying permanently exploded.
0: Yes, vaporized. So the Guidestones are in rural Georgia. They were set up by a mysterious figure in 1980. They had these messages on them that led people to believe, I, I think reasonably, that they were supposed to be some sort of instructions for a post-apocalyptic future. And so they said things like live in harmony with nature. But they also said some weird things. Like they said there was some kind of eugenics message that it was like perfect your breeding stock, something along those lines. Not great. And there was another that said, keep the human population under 500 million people. So if you assume that this is after nuclear war and the population is much less than that, that's one thing. But for people like Alex Jones and other folks, particularly in the last, I would say, decade or so, the Guidestones came to be seen as sort of the symbol of a plan to depopulate and enslave humanity by the world elite. And sort of as the years have gone on, this is, it's changed who is setting up this plan. So back in the 80s, 80s, people thought it was a Satanist thing, and they thought it would be a place for witch covens to perform. Of course, we can see the connection to sort of the anxieties of the moment. Then in the Obama administration, people thought George Soros might have his plan there. Why you would put it in rural Georgia? I don't know. Why would you put your plan down at all? Who knows? And then more recently, this idea that the World Health Organization and Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates had laid out their plan to depopulate humanity with the COVID vaccine. So the Guidestones had been attacked in various ways for a while, vandalism, mainly. And more recently, a failed gubernatorial candidate named Candace Taylor in Georgia had vowed that her first act as governor would be demolishing the Guidestones. But last week, someone beat her to it. An unknown bomber or bombers rolled up, detonated a bomb on the old Guidestones in the early morning, totally obliterated one of them. And apparently for safety reasons and as part of the investigation, now all of the Guidestones have been demolished.
1: Well, are the bombers or bomber still at large?
0: Yeah, I mean, they haven't caught him, yeah. So there's an active criminal investigation right now where the cops are
1: basically trying to hunt these guys down.
0: Yeah, so after some of the earlier vandalism, a security camera had been set up aimed at the Guidestones. And so there's video of this car like driving onto the field. I don't think they released video of the people like laying the bombs. I don't know if it's like for investigative purposes they're hiding that. And then they did release video of the Guidestones being blown up, which needless to say has been memed all over the right wing internet. They're thrilled about it. In a way, the bombing of the Guidestones has been a lighter story, if you can imagine that, a little less intense domestic terrorism than the news we often face. But on the other hand, the serious news is that there is a group of domestic terrorists on the loose in Georgia or elsewhere that has not been apprehended and basically had a victory because it's not clear if the Guidestones will be rebuilt. So the operating suspicion, again,
1: we don't know because no assailants have been caught yet, the people assailing the precious Guidestones. But your suspicion is this is a form of right-wing terror, like with bombs, someone could have gotten hurt during this process, that seems to have gone off without a hitch.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we'll see if they catch them. But certainly I think the way this is being received in right-wing media and particularly conspiracy circles is, hey, we didn't like those guidestones and we blew them up and that's it. And this is kind of like a blow against the cabal. And it's one thing when you're blowing up rocks in the middle of a field, but you know, you can imagine, obviously there are certain businesses, certain restaurants that have been accused of being fronts for child trafficking. And then what happens when they say, hey, this is another outpost for Satan, let's go get them. The tricky thing is, will the guidestones be rebuilt? And first of all, I should say there was a rumor about the guidestones that there was a time capsule buried underneath them i have to say the whole like guide stone stuff is pretty weird in this town called elberton because the town is famed for its granite mining and quarrying and now the guidestones if you think of them sort of as like one of these roadside attractions like the world's biggest ball of twine or like a giant sized hat or something they're kind of like for the, showing off the local industry. It was believed that there was a time capsule buried under them that was kind of this idea was propagated around the town. But when they dug it up as part of the bombing investigation, there was no time capsule, so that mystery has come to an end. But now the question is will anyone rebuild them? Well, on one hand, The messages are pretty weird. Who wants to rebuild the eugenics rock, right? But on the other hand... I mean, to be fair to the eugenics rocks, we have managed to keep the United States population under 500 million. Yeah, well, I think this is the world population. Oh, oh. So we screwed up big time on that one. Oh, we fucked up. The Guidestones, they were glowing. They were angry. The thing is that, because on, on one hand, I was like, well, no one will want to rebuild it. But it does seem like in the past, the mayor of this town has been supportive of the guide stones before the bombing. And it does kind of seem like, well, this is kind of like our main tourist thing. And the quarry industry themselves is qu- apparently quite interested in it, which dovetails with one of the theories about who built the Guidestones, which is that it was just the local quarry people who said, hey, you know, what if we throw this up and kind of create a little mystery, get folks to come to the town? Oh, the guys who deal with the rocks and the stones all the time built the thing
1: exactly amazing detective work and skills at deduction
0: exactly so that doesn't really have anything to do with the bombers but it is sort of a an interesting hmm and once again back in 1980 there was an anonymous donor now i'm reading the local press in elberton once again there is an anonymous donor willing to rebuild the guidestones is it a local granite magnate is it george soros we don't know (laughs) it could be either of them it could be anything and everyone in
1: between On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and Beyond, from politics to popular culture.
0: We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. Come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demeglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods